Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. From its very earliest days, the Church of the Nazarene has committed itself to a mission. We believe that every man, woman, teen, and child on the planet deserves a chance to hear the good news of God's love, of his forgiveness, of eternal life in the future, and a different quality of life in the here and now because you know very real peace by being connected with God. And so from the earliest days of the denomination, we sent full-time professional missionaries. Historically, that looked like preachers, mostly, who went to foreign countries and were going to preach and preach and preach and preach until somebody locally made that decision to follow Jesus Christ and then we would begin to plant churches in the area. We also uh, kind of broke up the ground in in front of us to make a way for the gospel by sending relief workers of a number of kinds, uh, initially mostly medical personnel who would go and bring relief and healing in the name of Jesus as a way of demonstrating his love in believable ways. And then folks seemed awfully ready to hear the good news of God's love. But as time has gone by, the Church of the Nazarene's commitment to world mission has not changed in terms of level of commitment. But we have found that there are some more fruitful ways and just more ways of getting this message around the world. And so by the time I was in uh, late high school, we had, as a, as a denomination, as a people, said, you know, we could throw a lot more willing bodies at this if we, um, if we just removed the requirement that you have to be a professionally religious person. And we found that people who gather in sanctuaries like this one and sit in pews like you do have a passion from God and a call from God and many times resources from God to put all of those dots together to really connect them. And so a work and witness movement was born. And right on the heels of work and witness came this idea of Nazarenes in volunteer service. And it was mostly retired people who said, I've got... I've got uh, A lot of years left, I hope, and I've got some time, and I've got some money, and I've got some passion, let's go, and and so that was born, and and now I can't keep track of all of the ways that the people of God called Nazarenes find a way to get into the farthest corners of the earth. One of those ways has become very familiar to us in recent years is extreme Nazarene. I I joked with the prayer team this morning that in the past, extreme Nazarene meant that you were really good at following strict rules. And these days, extreme Nazarene means that you have a passion and you will not be denied. You are going to answer God's call on your life. And and we've learned about that mostly from our friend Brooke Thomas, who who said, I'm going to go no matter what the cost, no matter matter what. I'm just going to go until God says, don't go. And so... We connect with her once in a while. She was with us a few weeks ago as well, and and now she's in in Brazil leading one of those arms of extreme Nazarene. We have another from among us who has heard God's call, and her name is Cameron Steele. And I have um, asked Cameron to come and speak with us today about what it is that God's doing in her life, and, and maybe you can tell us a little bit how you know it's him and not just... Oh, Brooks Marketing Campaign. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Okay. This is Cameron Steele. A bunch of you raised her. So we're now asking that you would prayerfully and in other ways support her. 
But in this moment, as she gets ready to speak to us, I'd ask that you first join me in prayer for her. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this woman. She is beautiful in our sight. She has walked faithfully as your follower from the time she was a little girl, as her parents taught her to. But now in adult life, when all of the decisions are hers, she continues to walk faithfully what you have called her to do. She is a holy example to us, and we are thankful for her, and we love her. We're excited that she has heard your voice in a very clear way. And so now we ask that that spirit who called her would now come upon her in power. Just uh, help her to get over the nerves of standing in front of a bunch of people. And I pray, Lord, that the passion that you have stirred up in her heart will now come pouring over her lips. And I pray that your spirit wouldn't stop by just working in Cameron's heart today. We are your church, and we want to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to try not to get emotional, Um, no guarantees on that part, but um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about um, God's calling on me and um, what this is going to look like. So um, I'm going to start with a little backstory. I went to Haiti this past summer, 2017, and um, it was a really cool experience, and I came back thinking maybe I would do missions again someday, and maybe, like, after college, when I had more than, like, $60 in my bank account, Um, but God had another plan, so um, the Sunday after I came back, I was sitting in church, and Brooke was here, um, and she was talking about her experience in Extreme Nazarene, and um, I started crying in the middle of it, and um, just felt God speaking to my heart, and he said, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and that was a lot for me to process, um, not something that I had planned on doing, and if you know my family, you know that we plan things, and it's good to have plans. Um, so uh, that definitely went against the plan that we all had for my life. But I've learned in life that following God's plan goes a lot better than following my own plan. So uh, I spent the summer trying to wrap my head around this calling and um, what it might mean for the future. Um, and it took three months to kind of wrap my head around it and come to terms with it, but I'm really excited to see what's in store for this experience, and I know that when God's in control, it's going to be amazing, and he will provide in whatever way is needed. Um, So a little bit more about the trip that I'm going on this summer. Um, It's a 40-day trip to Ecuador, and We'll be going throughout several different cities within Ecuador. We won't just be in one. Um, We'll be seeing the different churches that have been planted through the two-year extreme Nazarene missionaries like Brooke has been doing um, and just kind of support the missionaries there and um, outreach to the community. That's the team that went last year. I actually know one of the students. He was an NNU student, but that's the team from last year, and... um, 
Yeah, we'll just be outreaching to the community. I don't know a lot of the like specifics yet. It's still um, in the works, but I know that it's a lot of outreach to the community and um, seeing those two-year missionaries and what they do and um, the churches that have been built there and helping them in whatever ways we can and baptizing people who have just come to know the Lord. Some really cool things. So I'm excited to see um, what all... God will be doing through us and our team, um, and yeah, I am excited to just jump into it in faith and just kind of walk it out as things come along. Um, so the most important thing I came to hear here for you guys is um, prayer. I need prayer both as I prepare for the trip and while I'm there. Um, and also for my team, I don't know who's on the team. It can be from anywhere in the world. So just be praying for them and um, the team dynamic as we embark on this awesome trip together. And um, also for the people that we'll be touching down there, just um, prepare their hearts for what God will have to say and um, the ways he will use us. And then the other big contributor that you could do is um, financial support. Um, the Cost of the trip is a little under four thousand, and I haven't reached that yet. But I know that God will provide. Um, I have no doubt in that. So if you feel like it might be something you're interested in, or God's tugging on your heart, um, let me know, and I can give you some more information on how to donate. And if you want any information on the trip, or just want to have a conversation with me a little bit more, I'll be out in the foyer afterwards and. We can definitely have a conversation. I'd love to talk to you more about it. And um, yeah, so and I just want to thank you all for being my church family for my whole life and for. <laughs> you obviously have done your jobs well with how many of us are spreading the news. And I'm so thankful to have had people like you to support me and everything. And the only reason I'm doing this is because of you guys. So thank you. So, yeah. So something, something has gone really right here over the years. You guys raised a whole bunch of people who keep saying yes to the Lord's calling on their lives. It was, uh, it was Extreme Nazarene that uh, took Paul and Alyssa Clark from this shore to that one in Ecuador. And uh, that was you know, supposed to be this short-ish two-year mission, and who knows? Brooks' mission was supposed to be just two years, and then you know, back to normal life, and there's a new normal for her, giving her life away in, in this way. Uh, Cameron, we, we want to help you. You told us that prayer is the most important, so I want you to know that your people are going to pray for you daily, okay? Daily. Give us updates as, uh, as we need to know how to pray for you other than to say, Lord, be with Cameron, because he already is, right? So give us some help there. And then there's going to be some people who also want to contribute financially to help you and your, and your church family as a whole. We, the, the board and uh, leadership team set aside some money to help 
uh, folks who are, who are going as well. Just like we heard earlier, if this is your first uh, go-round with Work and Witness, you need some financial help to go, there's some folks who are dedicated to help make that happen, okay? So we're not asking you to do this on your own. We're asking you to do it with a little bit of help from us and by the power of God's Holy Spirit, who very clearly lives within you. Now, I want to ask you a question. I didn't prep you for this. I want to ask you a question, and there, I know there's not a good hard answer to it, but I just want you to talk about it for a little bit. You mentioned that for three months you kind of wrestled with God's will. How did you end up arriving at the conclusion that this was God's spirit speaking to you instead of just a great idea for summer travel? How did, how did you discern the voice of the Lord in this? Um, I think a lot of it for me is um, the time that it took. Um, sometimes I'll come up with ideas on my own, and it'll be, oh, maybe I'll do that, and I'll forget about it and move on. But this is something I thought about every single day, and it was constantly on my heart. Um, and every time I talk about it, I tend to get emotional. So um, I just feel God's spirit and the ways that um, people have been encouraging me to this, even though they didn't really know what was going on, just kind of uh, keeping me accountable to keep pursuing it. Um, God's really been faithful in that, and um, it, I know that it's God's calling for sure. Did you resist this idea at first? <laughs> yeah. Um, Why? <laughs> it's... It's hard to think about kind of what this could entail in the future, and um, it was a lot different than the comfort that I had planned for myself. Um, so it took a while to be able to say, "Okay, I'm going to give up what I want. Um, I'm going to give up my plan. I'm going to give up the comfort that I've found, um, and I'm going to just." jump into this not knowing how long maybe in the future it'll change things and not knowing everything that's to come, which is hard for me, but mm. um, I think it'll be good. One last question, then I'll let you go. Have you wrestled with the, the idea of the responsible thing to do is to work this summer and earn money for college? How did you resolve that? Because I'm sure without asking them, that there are at least two people related to you who may have struggled with this notion, huh? Yeah. How'd you work that out? Um, still working that part out a little bit. <laughs> um, it was, that was really hard um, because it isn't practical and it's not um, something that maybe a broke college student should be doing right now. But um, I... I've just seen time and time again that God provides, and um, it was a lot of, okay, is there anything more practical I could be doing? Like, do I have to go to Ecuador, or could I do something closer to home that wouldn't be as expensive, that kind of thing? But um, ultimately, I knew that this is what God was calling me to. So He said Ecuador. He said Ecuador. Okay. Okay. What did you hear? Is that, a, is that a believable witness of the way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives? I see all the marks of authenticity myself. And so, um, so thank you for being somebody who does courageous things. Thank you for being somebody who generally does the reasonable thing, but when the Holy Spirit calls, says, I'll be ridiculous. 
I'll just, I'll just be ridiculous in this moment and do what, what he's called me to do. Uh, at the end of the service, why don't you make your way out to the foyer and just stand there by the connection desk. And any of you who would like to connect with her, either to thank her for what she's doing, to ask more questions about it, and especially to ask how that you, you can financially partner with her, uh, she'd be glad to help you with all of that. And then um, we'll, we'll need some updates as we go along, both with the fundraising before you get there and then how we can pray as you go. Okay? Why don't you thank her for us? Good. I just want to say one more time that something has gone really right here over the years. And far longer than I have been your pastor, something's been going really right here because you have discipled an entire generation of people who keep saying yes to God. We'll change some things as we go forward with methods and so forth. But having heard what we heard this morning, let's one more time just commit ourselves to being the people of God who say yes to God as often as we say, please, God. Can Can you join me in that? So Lord, hear our prayer. That's what we're saying this morning is that as often as we come to you with requests, please, we also want to be a people who are saying yes as you make requests and commands of us. Lord, we pray your blessings upon Cameron Steele. It's clear that you already are doing that. There's nothing better than hearing your voice even when it challenges us so very, very hard. Lord, I pray that you would, you'd go to work on Cameron's behalf because she's getting ready to go to work on your behalf. I know that the enemy will try to discourage her. I know what deadlines look like and how worry sometimes creeps in. But Lord, she's going to need you to guide her while she's in Ecuador, so we ask you to guide and help and prepare her now. And we ask that you wouldn't stop with Cameron. Who else do you want to call? Where else do you want us to go? What's next? What should we let go of? What should we aim toward? We sang it a few minutes ago. I surrender all. And if you do surrender all to Jesus, join me in saying, amen. All right. Well, I've been trying to learn about prayer since the beginning of the year, and, and evidently, Jesus didn't think that prayer was a religious activity. He seemed to think instead that it was just a family conversation with the God of the universe, albeit, but, but a family conversation. And while it's on one hand this lofty thing like a conversation with the God, it's also very much like just having a conversation over at some friend's house. And so Luke, one of the biographers of Jesus, decided that he would set out an orderly account of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And when he did so, he said, well, if I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, I have to tell you about how Jesus prayed. And so he gathered a a 
chunk of Jesus' teachings on prayer, and he set them right in the middle of his story of Jesus' life. It begins in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. And I invite you to turn there if you, if you have a, a Bible that has pages in it still. And if you have a phone, flip or scan or swipe or whatever it is that you do to get there. And if you don't have one of those, we'll have the words printed on the screen. But I'd invite you to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's word. The disciples... Uh, were religious people. They'd memorized a bunch of prayers like they were taught to. Two of Jesus' disciples had been disciples of a different rabbi before Jesus. They had, they had decided that they were going to follow this guy that everybody called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had taught them some ways of praying as well. But when they heard Jesus, they shook their heads and thought, this is different. So John taught his disciples to pray, Jesus, why, why don't you teach us the real way? But before we get to that section, let's head to somebody's living room. John chapter 10, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted, distracted. By the big dinner she was preparing, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And once when Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine's just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night. My family are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find... Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So, so. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit and all good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Jesus moves right past the the religious stuff when he starts teaching his people about prayer. Initially, he teaches them. It's like having a a conversation in your friend's living room. Just sit down, quit worrying about all the stuff, and enjoy the conversation. See where the Lord steers that conversation. He then at the book ends his teaching and says, but it's, it's not just a conversation with any old friend. It's a conversation with a father and fathers do good things for their kids. And in the, in the middle of it, he said, it's not just any father either. It's your father who is in heaven. And that means that he's the God of this universe. And therefore he has power to do that which is good for you. And because he's there, in, in some way transcendent, above, beyond the, 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 the mess of this world. He has a unique perspective that produces a decisive wisdom so that he won't do everything you ask, but he'll do every good thing for you because he knows better. Last week, we took a look at this prayer that that Jesus offered as a model, not as this thing to be recited. I I wonder, with the beginnings of our faithfulness, where we said, "Mm, we should probably memorize that. I I wonder, I I think, really, that the Lord is pleased that our hearts said, "Let's, let's do something toward learning how to pray as he taught us. But I also wonder if maybe it hasn't hurt his heart a bit that mostly we've stopped at just saying, okay, well, here's a, here's a template, here's a model, so I'll, I'll produce a formula. I should praise God, I should uh, thank God, I should ask God, and then sit around hoping that he does something about it. He wasn't trying to, to teach us a template, though he gave us a, a guide. It was a guide to how to have a conversation with the God of heaven and earth in a family kind of setting. And yet last week, when we kind of tore into the prayer, we get to this phrase, this big formal address, hallowed be thy name. And most of us kind of hear it in those sort of tones and, and don't mimic them as we speak them, but there's this thing in our heart that goes, yeah, yeah, formal address, get on to the good stuff of the prayer. But we learned that what it means to hallow God's name is, is, is to, to live in connection with him in such a way that when people look at us and recognize that we're God's people, they have additional reasons to respect God. Because of how we live, while we say, I'm the God person, I'm the, I'm the Christ follower, I'm a Christian, that, that the people who see us and hear us that are within our circles now have added reasons for giving reverence and respect to God, for, for considering one more time or in a new way, just maybe they would invite him into their lives. And, 
And yet, as we read the text, there's this weird thing. It says, hallowed be thy name, but it doesn't say whose responsibility it is to make sure that God's viewed that way. Is it God's job or is it our job? And and the answer is it's both. It's, It's a call to us to live a certain way in this world, but I think it's also a call to God to say, do something. Would you please do something, God? You've read maybe enough of the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, to realize that among Jesus' strengths, um, politeness was not one of them. Did you notice that? As you read the Gospels, uh, listen, please don't neuter them. Please don't take the uh, out of Jesus' voice because it shows up a lot, especially in Luke's Gospel. Man, Luke's Jesus, he got a tongue on him. He lights people up when people need to be lit up. And even when he spoke to his father, there, there wasn't the polite, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It was, dad, do something. Would you please do something about this messy world that your people seem to be trapped in? despite all of their best efforts to make it a better place, we tear it apart. We come up with these great ideas like we should should plan an organization that has authority over people's lives. It'll prescribe a boundary, a physical one within which they must live, and then some rules as well. We'll call it government That'll make everything better. The world will work now that we have human-made governments. Perfect. Jesus says, God, our, our efforts aren't working here. Would you do something? Would you do something like decisive and powerful and real and good and noticeable and undeniable in this world that causes people to sit up and take notice and say, there's a holy God. Not just maybe there's a God, there's a holy God in heaven and he intervenes and interferes in the affairs of humanity. And occasionally, while he lets us make decisions, occasionally he does something definitive that sets a mark in time, a place and a time in which human beings sit up and take notice of this holy God. He hallows his name. And he calls you and I to live in equally decisive and definitive ways. We prayed at the end of the service last week that his spirit would lead us, each of us, to do something in this, you know, the the, the week out ahead of us, now the week behind us. It would be one of those markers for somebody in this world, somebody in our home, somebody in our workplace, somebody in our school, where they would go, huh, God works through whoever. I hope that every day you wake up and as you swing your feet out of your bed, you pray that prayer. Lord, how would you like for me to hallow your name? 
What is it that you'd like for me to do this day, this week, that will be one of those moments for someone in my family, someone in my school, someone in my work? If you listen, he will occasionally give you a very clear sense of how you can hallow his name, cause him to be thought well of and spoken well of in this world. But do you ever wonder what it is that that God's going to do? I mean, do you wonder when you pray that prayer? Great God, I, I mean, we get our marching orders, but what about you? What are you going to do? Something new, something powerful, something not just noticeable, but undeniable that causes people to go, there's a God and, ooh, he's, he's holy. What is God's responsibility in this thing? What is it that he's supposed to do? Do you wonder what it is that Jesus had in mind when, when he asked God, why don't you hallow your name? I wonder these things. I don't think Jesus was leaving it wide open to just say, Father, anything that you can imagine that's good, because you're God, you get to decide, just, just do something good. Instead, we find out in the very next phrase in this prayer what it is that Jesus thought would cause the world to sit up and take notice of a holy, powerful, loving, sovereign God. He said, make your kingdom come to earth just like it is in heaven. Now, I submit to you that all the rest of the prayer All the rest of the prayer after, hallowed be thy name, is Jesus saying to the Father, here's exactly what I want you to do. And and as he was praying this prayer, he was teaching us to ask God for the same thing. To ask God to do something, to hallow his name among us, to cause us to revere him, to cause us to regard him as worthy of worship and respect, even to such an extent that we're careful about how we even say his name. And he was saying, join me in this prayer. Let's all together go and ask God to do something that interrupts the mess and resets or begins to reset and so that this kingdom can gain momentum and eventually be the defining reality in which we live. He said, bring your kingdom. He looked God the Father in the eye and said, bring it. The question is, what does the kingdom of God look like? Christians have struggled with this for a long, long time. Some have said, well, you know, the kingdom is going to be, uh, it, it's a long way in the future, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a literal kingdom with the literal throne, and Jesus as, you know, sit, the, the governor, president, king, who will actually sit for 1,000 years over a sovereign state that actually covers the entire world. There are some folks who believe that. There are some folks who say, um, his kingdom has already come. He, at at his ascension into heaven, after Jesus died, was crucified, spent 40 days telling the guys, get it, this is the last 40 days of the semester, clue in, listen close, study well, and then he ascended into heaven, that at that point his kingdom was inaugurated and you're living in it right now. 
and that it is gaining momentum every day and is on its way to this big day of consummation when the kingdom is so close to being perfect here on earth that he will descend from heaven and say, now that's what I was talking about, and he will make it perfect in in a final sense. And then we enter heaven itself. There are other folks who've said, no, 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 the kingdom isn't going to be a historical reality, either long, long way in the future or started 2,000 years ago. The kingdom's just this ethereal concept that, that kind of exists in the hearts and the minds and in the collective efforts of God's people to do good. So when you say, bring your kingdom, Jesus, what are you meaning? Which one of us got it right? You want to know? Me too. I don't. Every one of us uh, gets an opinion on this thing. But Jesus told us what life in the kingdom would look like in this prayer. Listen to it. He said, bring your kingdom, and here's what it's going to look like. Your will, which is done perfectly in heaven, will start being done on the earth. The the good things, the glorious things, the the, the place where where people treat each other well and with dignity, we'll start doing that on earth. In heaven, where where only truth is known, so much so that truth, you know, uh, uh, in, in literary terms, truth is often depicted as light. Heaven is depicted as this place that never has night and has only light. Why? Because it's only always truth all of the time. Jesus said, yeah, people will start telling the truth like that here. That's what the kingdom will look like. Everything that you've been taught about the perfection of heaven, Jesus said, yeah, people will start doing that stuff on earth. I'm not talking about streets of gold and ridiculous mansions and that nonsense of lusting after those things and a life of ease where I just sit in heaven and eat. But all of the goodness, all of the all of all of the, the living in ways that fit with the person of God, he said, that's what it'll look like when your kingdom comes to earth. Where when what God wants actually starts happening here. Here's some of the things that he said God wants that could actually happen here on earth as uh, as an evidence of his kingdom. He said that people will have enough and won't be greedy for more. People will have enough each day and won't be greedy for more. Well, where's that in the Lord's Prayer, Cliff? Give us this day our daily bread. In case you didn't get it, he said the day part three times, two times. Give us this day our daily bread that we'll be content with enough, not constantly lusting for more. Uh, give me today my daily bread and I'll take care of the daily bread for all of the tomorrows, Jesus, with my brilliant investing plan. See, his plan, Jesus seemed to think that, that every one of his followers on this planet, regardless of zip code, regardless of continent, would have enough each day. Instead of the lopsided business of some Christians starving to death, 
while others worry about their next big deal. Jesus said, you'll recognize the kingdom as coming to fruition when your people have enough and aren't greedy for more than enough. God help me. He said, you'll also recognize the kingdom as having become a reality on earth when people um, give forgiveness as readily as they ask for it. How many times have you gone to God, I blew it again? I mean, I know I promised you yesterday I wouldn't say that word again or I wouldn't do this thing or I wouldn't think that thought. I wouldn't give in to that feeling or that temptation. So for the one millionth day in a row, God, please forgive me. Listen, he's good with saying a million I forgive yous. But Jesus said, you'll recognize the kingdom of God as being here and real when people start giving forgiveness as readily as they ask for it. Who are you mad at today? As long as you still have an answer to that question, Jesus' prayer for the kingdom to come awaits fulfillment. Who is it from 30 years ago that hurt you that you decided, ah, no more? Forgiveness is the climate of the kingdom. Jesus said you'll recognize the kingdom when instead of seeking out temptation with the guarantee of God's forgiveness if you sin, you'll instead start praying, I don't want to give in. I want your will to be done in my life like I'm hoping and have been told it will be done when I'm in heaven. Oh, Father, may your kingdom come. We're asking him to do something definitive to kick off this kingdom. Guess what? He did now he asks us, what are you going to do to hallow my name? Maybe you could pray this with me as we conclude and do this. I wrote it like this, like a letter for a reason, so that you don't recite it with the common rhythm that we've all been taught to use for the Lord's Prayer. Because it isn't a thing to memorize. It's a conversation, family conversation, with the God of this heaven who intends to bring his kingdom and has decided that he won't do it without your partnership. Who's going to hallow his name? Him or us? The answer is yes. Stand with me. And don't just read with me. Pray with me. Be careful of your cadence. Read it like a letter. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Such as, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, God. Bring your kingdom. I bet if we got quiet before you for one moment, you'd say the same thing to us. Bring my kingdom. We would say how. And maybe your spirit could instruct us according to one of those evidences, descriptors of the kingdom that's in the prayer. Which one would you like us to tackle with you today? Contentment versus greed? Forgiveness? Give and take? Or about us chasing after things that we know would destroy us when instead we could gain your power to persevere and overcome temptation? What would you like to talk to us about? We listen for your voice. because we dare, Lord, to say, please come and do something about this broken world. We will listen humbly and obey by the help and power of your Holy Spirit when you say the same thing to us. Just give us your spirit, your power, your guidance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. My friends, bring his kingdom. Amen.